0: You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3.
1: Money Talk.
2: Good morning from me, Peter Lewis, and welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong, and here are the business and finance headlines for Thursday, the 4th of August. The Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi has left Taiwan after a high-profile visit that rattled local financial markets. In talks with Taiwanese legislators, Ms. Pelosi pledged closer economic ties between the U.S. and Taiwan, adding that a trade agreement with Taiwan may be imminent. China's General Administration of Customs has levied new import bans on more than 2,000 Taiwanese products. China also halted natural sand exports to Taiwan. The S&P Global Hong Kong PMI edged down to a three-month low of 52.3 in July from 52.4 a month earlier. However, this was the fourth straight month of growth in the private sector, with both output and new orders rising, and firms increasing their buying activity. However, orders from China fell for the 14th successive month and foreign demand declined for a second straight month. The Kaishin China General Services PMI increased to 55.5 in July from 54.5 in June, the second straight month of expansion in the sector was also the sharpest increase in the sector since April 2021 as new orders rose at a faster pace. But the employment index deteriorated for the seventh consecutive month. OPEC and its allies have agreed an oil production increase of 100,000 barrels a day, or 0.1% of global demand. The increase is one of the smallest in the oil cartel's history and is likely to cause disappointment in Western capitals. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio Fahl and Louisa Fock, China equity strategist at Bank of Singapore. Later, we talk with Andrew Fennell, Senior Director of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings.
0: Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3.
2: On Wall Street, US stocks jumped higher, reversing a two-day slide on better-than-expected economic data that helped to lay recession fears. The S&P 500 climbed 1.6% to 4,155, hitting its highest level since June and wiping out losses from earlier in the week. The benchmark index has rallied 14% from its recent low in mid-June. The Dow added 416 points, or 1.3% to end the session at 32,812. The Nasdaq Composite Index surged 2.6% to 12,668. Stocks were boosted by a surprise jump in the ISM July Services PMI, which came in above estimates at 56.7 from 55.3 in June, ending three months of declines. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose half a percent. The FTSE 100 in London also climbed half a percent, Hong Kong stocks on Wednesday recouped some of the previous day's losses, but the rebound was limited by ongoing concerns over the impact of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. The Hang Seng Index rose 78 points, or 0.4%, to 19,767. The Tech Index rebounded 1.2%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.7% to 3,164. And in Taiwan, the Taiex rose 0.2%. Brent crude oil settled 3.7% lower at $96.78 a barrel after OPEC Plus agreed to increase its output target by 100,000 barrels a day. That's smaller than its prior increases though. Gold is trading at $1,764 an ounce. Short-dated Treasury yields are continuing their rapid march higher on hawkish comments from multiple Federal Reserve officials and after that stronger-than-expected data on the services sector. The two-year yield, which moves with interest rate expectations, is one basis point higher at 3.07% following a 19 basis point jump on Tuesday. That was the biggest daily move since March 2020. And the ten-year yield, which jumped by 16 basis points on Tuesday, fell four basis points yesterday to 2.71%. In the currency markets, the euro is at one dollar one and a half cents The bucks trading 0.8% firmer against the Japanese yen at 134.09. Sterling is worth $1.21.5 one and nine Hong Kong dollars and 53 cents. The Chinese Yuan is at 6.76 versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin, that's trading this morning at $22,800. In Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, the SX200 up 0.2%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, which has just opened up three quarters of a percent, The Cosby in South Korea is rising a third of a percent, and looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 150 points higher later on this morning. eight and a half. Let's welcome our guests, our regular Thursday morning commentator, personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fowl is with us. Morning, Enzio. Morning, Peter. And also with us again, Louisa Fok, China Equity Strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning to you, Louisa. Morning, Peter. Um, let's start with these um, sanctions that are being imposed um, on Taiwan. Uh, China's General Administration of Customs has levied new import bans now on more than 2,000 Taiwanese products. And the Commerce Ministry has has halted imports of some citrus fruits and frozen fish in in economic retaliation for Pelosi's visit. China has also halted natural sand exports to Taiwan. Natural sand is used in producing concrete and asphalt, and more than 90% of Taiwan's imported sand and gravel is from China. Um, What do you think of this? Are are they mainly symbolic um, and and a fairly small part of Taiwan trade, or are they maybe more significant and a signal of maybe where things might be heading?
3: Well, I think they're... Symbolic. I mean, it, it reminds me of Napoleon's Continental Blockade in 1814, when he, uh, when the he banned the British from selling stuff abroad. So what the British did quite cleverly was, in this Berlin dec- decree, what the British did was they actually smuggled a lot of stuff through Malta, and that, and then just transplanted their markets from Europe to Latin America and to the, uh, North America. So I think this is all going to be. Um, I don't think that gravel, f- mackerel, and scallops are going to exactly dictate the the woes of the chi- of the Taiwanese economy.
2: Is it, is it a sign though that maybe things could escalate to a full scale economic war? That would be more problematic, wouldn't it? Because Taiwan has some things that are crucial to global supply chains, like, like semiconductors. semiconductors.
3: Absolutely, I'm I'm concerned about this week because there may be some defence moves that we all know about in the press that um, the Chinese want to. Um, make sure that nothing happens in the Taiwan Strait and then if the Americans do something then there there may be some tension yet again. Mm. Um, Louisa, how do you see this? Are they symbolic, fairly
2: small part of cross-strait trade or are you worried that this could escalate into something more significant?
1: Um, I think if we look at it from two perspectives, from the economic perspective, obviously, like Angel mentioned, semiconductors, if anything, is going to extend to uh, the tech hardware, that sort of uh, area, it it's ju- it will not just affect uh, Taiwan, but I think it will have an impact on the global supply chain. That's mm-hmm. from one of the economic perspective. Um Another perspective is from the uh, asset prices and stock market. I think the geopolitical tensions has been a major uh, concerns uh, globally uh, this year. We have uh, 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 Russian and Ukraine geopolitical tensions earlier this year, and and I think um, the, the the global economy is going to uh, watch uh, this uh, potential geopolitical tensions here in the next few days. I think the situations remain fluid, as you can see that uh, many of the asset prices, for instance, if you look at TIEX, um, uh the performance has been affected, despite the fact that it has uh, rebound uh, modestly. Yeah, but I think the situations remain fluid.
2: Is is that over now, do you think? I mean, we had the initial reaction, didn't we, on Tuesday when the visit was confirmed, particularly in Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, and also in the currency markets. But it wasn't really a global phenomenon. Apart from U.S. stocks, they did go down initially, but then stabilized and rebounded. Is this um, just a local issue and is that really now over? Have markets got, got over this or do you think there's more to come?
1: Um, like what we have just discussed, I think one of the uh, key things that could potentially affect global economy will will be like: is there anything that got extended to other uh, beyond what has been announced? For instance, like semiconductors. Otherwise, uh, the supply chain implications. Uh, I then um, the market will has not yet uh, pricing it. If that's uh, if that surface, yeah.
2: I suppose NGOs, China's also got to be careful it doesn't shoot itself in the foot here because um, Taiwanese companies employ numerous staff um, in in China, particularly in Shanghai and the Pearl River Delta. There's, what, over 4,000 Taiwanese companies um, there. And also Taiwanese investment um, into, uh, into China is pretty large as well.
3: Yes, I think you're right. Again, I don't think China wants to shoot itself in the foot either. Um, because it's, if it if it kills these Taiwanese companies in China, then that's going to also just increase the friction. So it's kind of a lose lose for both sides, frankly. If they if the, if the boys up the ante in, in the sort of eyeball to eyeball department, um, but again, it's, it's with with people like Nancy Pelosi saying, "Well, this paves the way for more U.S. politicians to go to Taiwan." She's really just asking for it, frankly. Mm.
2: And and what about this talk about a trade agreement with Taiwan
3: that may be imminent? Peanuts. It's compared to the U.S.-China trade agreements. This this kind of stuff is very minor, besides which it's it's never, in my work with Capitol Hill, I've never once seen the Speaker of the House saying that she's going to Hmm. affect closer economic ties with another nation. Even in my day on, on the Hill in 86, she was a very disliked person.
2: Mm, okay, and um, Louisa, tell me a bit more about the Hong Kong markets. Obviously, it did react to this, but but Hong Kong's been having a tough time, um, really, for the last month or so, hasn't it? It's been underperforming global markets uh, for for a little while now and lost uh, most of the rebound that it had uh, uh, earlier earlier in the year. What's going on?
1: Um, I think Hong Kong uh, market has a pretty good rebound uh, before before July. Um, and I think uh, the major issues that uh, for a more sustainable uh, rebound or, or, or recovery, uh, both in the economy and also in the stock market, uh, there are several things uh, at a high level to watch out for. And I think one of the things that we have been discussing it, it will be the Fed rate high trajectory. Uh, note that we the next FOMC meeting will only come in September. I think consensus currently is forecasting 50 bps rate high, but what happened after that uh, it's highly data dependent um, and I think this is definitely will have an implications on the uh, asset price and stock market as well. Secondly, I think um, China's um, the pre-sales property projects mortgage repayment suspension um, has also triggered some of the concerns as well our initial assessment is that uh, is, uh, chances of having a systemic risk in the banking system is unlikely However, um, the, the, uh, the the pain is going to remain in the real estate sector. Uh, for the rest of this year, October will be another major month to watch out for because that will be another peak period for the China property bond maturity if we include both onshore and offshore. Um, so I think all over, uh, it could potentially uh, have some spur-of-impact because of the wealth effect of the general uh, public.
2: So, given all those risks the you mentioned some of them interest rate rises uh, the problems in the mainland property sector geopolitics <coughs> is Hong Kong a market that people should keep away from at the moment
1: um, I, I think it's we have to look at it by sectors there's still certain sector that has performed pretty well uh, even in in the past week or so when geopolitical tensions and all the factors that we've mentioned uh, for instance uh, the policy tailwinds uh, sector like all portals, it has been performed uh, pretty well, uh, even though uh, during this uh, market hiccups over the past week or so.
2: Enzio, what do you make of the the local economy here? We've had a lot of data this week, haven't we? We had uh, GDP Mm. contracted 1.4%, so puts us in a technical recession. We had retail sales, uh, which fell also the global Hong Kong. Uh, S&P Global Hong Kong PMI, that fell to a three-month low. Um, What do you make of the economy here?
3: We're between a rock and a hard place, Peter, because on the one hand, as you say, we've got this slowing economy. So that would argue for interest rates not rising in line with the prime rate in America. But at the same time, the hard place is that our peg has come under not threat, but it's just been pushed down to 785, and so the aggregate balances, the stuff that the ba- that the clearing accounts maintained by banks with the monetary authority have halved over the past three months, have halved, mm. and so um, they can't keep on chasing support for the peg because of money flowing out of China, out of Hong Kong, into the U.S. dollar, or because of the people just getting worried about China. So, I th- I think there's probably going to be a rate hike, but In Hong Kong, a prime rate hike, but not up to 6.25%, which would be one percentage point, probably about a 50 basis point hike is my guess.
2: How much can the aggregate balance drop before we start to see, you know, interest rate rises really uh, take off and, and close that differential with the U.S.? Can they go down to zero?
3: No, that would be panic. I mean, that then would really whack the whack the the credibility of the peg, which mm. I'm a firm firm believer in. Anyways, we all know. So, um, I think I think if you get not much further than below 150 billion, you're already beginning to smell some fire coming. Mm. Louisa,
2: are you worried at all about uh, the decline in the aggregate balance?
1: Um, I think the other way to look at it is uh, there has been a lot of expectation in terms of um, uh, further acceleration in terms of rate high in Hong Kong if you look at high ball and ball, obviously uh, during the first half the pace of increase high ball has been lagging behind so there has been expectations that it will be uh, the pace of increase will catch up given in addition to what Angio mentioned uh, in in light of what happened in the aggregate balance as well so I think that is what the market has been expecting
2: For and what about China? We've had some more data out of China. We've had the full set of PMIs now. The final one, the Kaishin China General Services PMI, that increased uh, to 55.5 in July from 54.5 in June. That's the second month of expansion. It's also the sharpest increase since April 2021. Um, The one um, the one thing that was worrying about it uh, was the employment index. It's deteriorated now for seven uh, consecutive months. We also had earlier this week uh, the manufacturing PMI from Kaishin, uh, which, uh, which, incru- uh, which declined. And then the official PMI fell into manufacturing. PMI fell into uh, contraction. What's all this telling us about the mainland economy?
3: Well, uh, just as a, as a quip, I think that Xi's COVID is Powell's inflation. In other words, they both have to decide what what do they want? Do they want the economy to keep on sort of recovering, or at least getting on even keel again, or do they want to watch the economic time in both countries continue d- declining? So I think that's as a backdrop, the reason for this factory activity contracting so much below fifty percent for the. Purchasing Managers Index on the manufacturing side was, a lot of it is, is, is what Louisa was saying before, this mortgage boycott, low sentiment in high energy consuming countries, insufficient market demand. All factories have been reporting insufficient demand. Fifty percent of them have reported insufficient demand over the past few months. So that's going to stay. That's, that's not just cyclical, that's structural. And the Politburo a week ago did
2: re-emphasize that fighting COVID uh, is the number one priority ahead of economic priorities, although obviously they want to try and support the economy as well, but that's still number one.
3: Yes, it is number one. And so you're kind of trying to fight a, a battle with one hand behind your tied behind your back because the People's Bank of China recently said at its half-year meeting that it would keep the real estate credit bonds and other financing channels stable, explore new development models for the sector, and they also want to issue more bonds. But it's all fighting with the, the battle with... with it. it is like she's, she's covered is, is, is Powell's inflation. Louisa, what, what's your thoughts?
1: Um... I think there are certain things that I feel uh, positive about uh, that's coming out from the July Politburo uh, meeting. Um, going back to the COVID policy, I think uh, there has been numerous mention, uh that they are going, to, yes, the COVID uh, zero uh, policy or strategy is likely to stay, but they are trying to strike a balance uh, between growth and containing um, the virus uh, from out spreading. So uh, the expectation is that uh, something similar to um, the scale of the Shanghai lockdown that we saw earlier this year, chances for this to happen again will be uh, a lot lower. And what it means is that um, the activities um, is likely to uh, continue on a gradual recovery. And I think if you look at all the high frequency data, uh, one thing for certain is real estate continue to contract, uh, whereas all the others are showing some signs of recovery. Obviously, uh, unemployment is still something um, to to concern or uh, uh, be of concern. Yeah.
2: Okay, thank you both very much. That was Louisa Fock, China Equity Strategist at Bank of Singapore, and Tia Von Fowl, our regular Thursday commentator. 5, 6,
3: 7am, Radio 3.
2: Hello, this is Uncle Ray. To fight COVID-19, we need to pay attention to our personal hygiene and follow the social distancing protocol. And of course, getting the COVID-19 vaccine is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones. We will fight this together. Times 8.23 and a half. Joining me now is Andrew Fennell, Senior Director of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Morning, Andrew. Hello there. Good morning. Uh, we've had a lot of data, haven't we, from, uh, from Hong Kong this week um, about the state of the economy. Obviously, the most notable one uh, is GDP um, and confirming that we're back in recession. This is now the second uh, recession in the past three years. What, what are your thoughts on where we are in Hong Kong at the moment with the state of the economy? Well,
4: the economy is, remains pretty lackluster uh, as, as described by you just now during this GDP print. Uh, I guess a couple of interesting points to, to underscore is that Hong Kong, if we take 2018 as a starting as sort of the starting point, the base year, uh, because of the social unrest in 2019, uh, we had economy contract, we had COVID, uh, and now we have these uh, lingering restrictions on movement and cross-border movement and activities. And the result is that the economy at the moment is still below the levels reported in 2018. Mm, and it's one of the worst uh, performing economies uh, globally at the moment in the, in the lower 20 percentile.
2: And I think, you know, as an initial look at this the other day that I did, it looks like we've spent more time in recession over the past three years than any other developed economy, which is a worrying thing, isn't it?
4: Yeah, well, yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh, it, it, it is, I think if we go back, uh, the reflection of sort of the combination of both the social events, the COVID, and also I think importantly now, the response, the policy response to COVID, which is, was very clearly hampering hampering the recovery of Hong Kong's economy.
2: Mm. Well, and what have we got to do? Uh, well, well, let me ask you first, do you see any growth at all for 2022? I see some analysts now are uh, revising down their forecast for the year to zero. Paul Chan's going to do um, a, a reassessment of the economy, of their predictions on August the 10th. What do you think?
4: Well, you've caught me in a bit of an awkward position because at the start of this year, we put our forecast for this year to 1% growth. Uh, Clearly, the severe contraction in the first quarter of this year, I think close to 4% on a year-on-year basis, and then in the second quarter on the preliminary basis in excess of 1% really shows some very uh, downside risk to our forecast. So I think in the coming, just similar to uh, the financial secretary, in the coming days and weeks, we're also going to have to be doing a rethink. And I think at the moment what I can say is that Uh, it looks like 0% growth would already be uh, quite a high bar for Hong Kong at this Mm.
2: stage. The thing that seems to have hit the economy most is this big decline in exports. Is that reflecting a weak global economy or is it more of a local issue because of all the reduced cargo flights between Hong Kong and the mainland or maybe a combination of both?
4: Yeah, I think the answer is that we don't have a very clear picture. Uh, There are a couple of promising things in the quarter two GDP print, one of which was that consumption was no longer. Uh, a drag to the economy, and if we look forward with the consumption vouchers going to be released again on the 7th of August, uh, I suppose there could be further support uh, to domestic consumption. Well, it was flat,
2: wasn't it, between the first and second quarter's consumption?
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, But I I think in August uh, we're going to have perhaps another little boost uh, from Mm -hmm. the consumption vouchers, but the, the exports is a key question. I think at the moment we do know there were disruptions to cargo uh, exports in the mainland China have continued to be, be actually stronger than many analysts, and including our expectations. So it doesn't seem like the drag from exports in, in mainland China would have been the contributing factor. So I think it, it sort of leads us to, to, to think that perhaps it was uh, disruptions to, to cargo and the flight bans that, that took place earlier in this year during the, the fifth wave of the, of the pandemic and the associated restrictions there.
2: And what are we going to do to get ourselves out of recession?
4: Well, I suppose uh, the without providing policy advice, it's pretty clear that the the path forward for most economies uh, in, in the region and both globally is to just open up uh, to treat the virus as endemic. Uh, if you sort of look elsewhere in the region, uh, you look across to Southeast Asia. Uh, Singapore is a good uh, is a good example. Uh, they have uh, found a way to sort of balance the opening process without uh, severely increasing hospitalizations and uh, their tourism sector right now, uh, inflows, passengers are, are all booming and there's of, of course a well-documented exodus of at least some, some Uh, foreign professionals to that financial sector at the moment
2: and let me ask you about what you think about our financial position as we discussed earlier the aggregate balance in the city is more than half now uh in the last few months and we're spending a lot of our reserves on supporting uh the hong kong dollar um peg is it getting to the point at all where you're where you're worried about the deterioration in our fiscal position Uh,
4: not at all uh, to, to, to be completely frank. I mean, the, the decline in the aggregate balance, I mean, this is, this is a feature of the linked exchange rate mechanism. Uh, when there are outflows and the currency hits the weak end of the convertibility band, uh, there is an automatic intervention that happens. It reduces the aggregate balance. Uh, it keeps the, the currency within uh, the, the stated boundaries. Uh, I think one implication of this of this mechanism, of course, is that interest rates uh, are going to to rise, borrowing costs are going to rise for both uh, households as well as enterprises. That on balance is is going to add another headwind uh, to economic activity. Uh, We're not overly concerned about the implications for financial stability from the property sector, just because as, as we've seen over many, many years, uh, the buffers in the banking sector are large. A lot of borrowers don't even have mortgages in Hong Kong uh, and those that do have very large down payments.
2: Mm. So what's your rating for Hong Kong and what's the outlook?
4: Well, the rating on Hong Kong is double A AA-. minus. Uh, it it has remained that way uh, since 2020 was 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 the last time that we took the rating down uh, from from its previous level. The outlook is stable. I think at the moment, uh, essentially, the rating is is driven by sort of two factors. Uh, the most important is these rising economic, financial, and uh, Political linkages with the mainland, uh, which I think in our mind justify uh, a very close linkage uh, of of the of these two ratings. So we have. Mainland China at eight plus with a stable outlook, and in Hong Kong, one notch above at AA minus. And that one notch, uh, you know, reflects the open capital account. It reflects uh, reflects a very large fiscal reserve and fiscal buffers that Hong Kong continues to have.
2: Andrew, thank you very much. That's Andrew Fennell, senior director of sovereign ratings at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Around Asia-Pacific markets, the SX200 up two-thirds of 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen now 0.9%. The Cosby in South Korea up 0.4%. And futures markets pointing to a gain of 170 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is back chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam the weather forecast uh, cloudy with squally showers and thunderstorms those showers are going to be heavy at times the maximum temperature will be around uh, 29 uh, degrees and there is the standby signal number one in force and the outlook is for showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days which are going to be heavy at times on friday and then they will lessen and there will be sunny intervals on sunday and monday the temperature right now 27 degrees 87 percent relative humidity Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shosky with the half-hour news.
0: Thank you, Peter. A chief manager of the hospital authority, Lau Ka Hin, has said officials are looking to move more COVID patients from public hospitals to private ones to cope with the surge in admissions.
1: So about 14 to 50 patients are allowed in the private hospitals, but now we will find more patients who are suitable to be managed in the private hospitals. The patients can be from the medical ward, for example, after a stroke or a cardiac attack, or from the surgical stream, for example, after the operation. What the patients need is some rehabilitation or some convalescent treatment.
0: Dr. Lau's comments came as the HA announced the death of four more COVID patients. Another 164 patients have been admitted to public hospitals, taking the tally of those receiving care to 1,533. Meanwhile, health authorities have reported 4,547 new coronavirus cases. The NASA Space Agency says it's aiming to launch its first Artemis flight to the moon no earlier than August the 29th. Artemis 1 is the first flight of NASA's Space Launch System vehicle and the first flight of the Orion spacecraft. The test flight will circle the moon before returning to Earth. NASA said the uncrewed flight will be the first in a series of increasingly complex missions that will provide a foundation for deep space exploration and extend human existence to the moon and onto Mars. Bill Nelson is the agency's administrator.
2: We're going to Mars and we're going back to the moon in order to learn to live, to work, to survive. On these increasingly complex missions, astronauts will live and work in deep space and will develop the science and technology to send
0: the first humans to Mars. It's been confirmed that a Hollywood film based on the DC Comics character Batgirl has been scrapped. This is despite the movie already being in post-production. Here's the BBC's Colin Patterson with the details.
3: It is simply one of the most expensive cast-offs in cinematic history. Batgirl's budget was around the $90 million mark. Rising star Leslie Grace took on the title role, with Michael Keaton returning to play Batman for the first time since the 1990s. Filming finished in March, allowing plenty of time for special effects to be added ahead of a late 2022 release in cinemas and on the US streaming service HBO Max. But now, Bad Girl has been canned, never to be seen. According to the New York Post, test screenings were so poorly received that Warner's decided the film was irredeemable.
0: A sixty-year-old, a
1: sixty-two-year-old Frenchman has survived for sixteen hours in an air bubble inside his.